Some of the most common questions I've received as a pastor have to do with uncertainty about the afterlife. What happens when a person dies? Where are my loved ones who've passed on? What's next? If we look at the New Testament and at the best pastors and theologians throughout the history of the church, we find that they insist on and they really celebrate the future resurrection of the body. But this often presents a challenge because the concept of a future resurrection confronts the very now common idea that when a person dies, their soul or spirit leaves their body and goes to a place called heaven to be with God in a purely spiritual disembodied state forever. So as we encounter these kinds of contrasting views between resurrection and immortal disembodied soul existence, we need to spend some time thinking about what scripture says on questions about the afterlife. What is the resurrection of the body? Why does it matter? What's the important thing? The first place we need to begin is with the evidence that shows up in the New Testament. We need to look at scripture and see where the belief in bodily resurrection appears. And when we look at the New Testament, we find evidence for the view that there are two stages of life after death, post-mortem existence. When a believer dies, he or she is conscious of being with Christ in the presence of God, but this is an experience of waiting for another future event, namely bodily resurrection. Now, one of the best places to see how this works out is in the book of Philippians, one of the letters that Paul writes from prison. Paul recognizes that he might be executed, and in chapter 1, he reflects on the benefits for the Philippians of his remaining alive in the body. And he sets that against his own desire to depart and be with Christ. Paul's view is that when he dies, he will have an experience of being present with Jesus. And he says this is far better. And that's to be expected because when you're a prisoner of the Roman Empire, the prospect of entering into the heavenly presence of Jesus would certainly be more desirable. The important thing to see, though, is that in Paul's view, this initial disembodied experience is not the permanent and eternal state. This is not Paul's ultimate hope. Something else is yet to come. When we find, out, we find out what that something else is at the end of chapter 3 when Paul says, we are expecting a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our humble bodies to be like His glorious body. So Paul expects that upon the death of his body, he will enter into a conscious, though disembodied experience in the presence of Christ. But this is a period of waiting for the time when the body will be resurrected and transformed to be like the resurrection body of Jesus. So when a believer dies, she goes to be with Jesus. But after that, she will return to transformed, embodied life when her body is raised from the dead. The church has typically referred to that in-between time, between death and resurrection, as the intermediate state, and the period that begins with bodily resurrection as the eternal state. Intermediate state, eternal state. We find that same two-stage process in other places in the New Testament. For example, Revelation 6, 9 through 11, uh, there we read that John has a vision of the souls of those who have been killed for their faithfulness to the Word of God. The text is clear that these folks are dead. They're martyrs. Uh, but they are conscious of being in the presence of God and they call out to God asking, how long will it be before you avenge our blood? So they've died and they've gone to heaven, but they're waiting for something. And they're told to wait a little longer. And in Revelation 20, we find out that they are raised from the dead. That's what they were waiting for. So again, there's this two-stage life after death. Disembodied consciousness in the presence of God that is then followed by 
bodily resurrection. When we look at the New Testament and the evidence there for belief in bodily resurrection, we need to know that we're not dealing with an obscure idea that only shows up in a couple of isolated texts. It's there in different authors writing different genres, letters, apocalyptic visions, history, and they're writing for different audiences on different occasions. So this concrete hope for future bodily resurrection is all over the New Testament. It's all over the place. Our next question has to do with what the resurrection of the body will be like. And it needs to be clear, it should be clear at this point that the writers of the New Testament believed in resurrection, but we need to ask what they believed about it. How should we think about the resurrection of the body? The answer uh, is that we need to look at Jesus. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 14, God raised the Lord and will also raise us by His power. So the resurrection of Jesus is a model or a prototype of the resurrection of all believers. Whatever happened to Jesus' body at Easter will also happen to the bodies of believers at the resurrection. The resurrection body is a physical body. And the gospel writers seem at pains almost to make this point. Luke tells us that when the disciples saw the resurrected Jesus, that they thought they were seeing a ghost. Jesus insists to them that he's a real physical human being. He tells them to look at his hands, look at his feet. He invites them to touch him because he says, ghosts don't have flesh and bones, but you see that I do. And then they cook some fish and Jesus eats it in their presence. So Luke must have been familiar with this criticism that they might have just seen a ghost, the resurrection wasn't real, and he insists that this is not the case. Jesus has been raised bodily to new life. He is tangible, he is touchable, he eats. He's a body. Now the resurrection body is a different kind of body, a different kind of physicality. One scholar has even called it transformed physicality. I like that. We see this in John's Gospel where Jesus' body is able to enter into a room in which all the doors and windows are shut and locked. So Jesus' body is physical, but it's a different kind of physical. The new body that Jesus has kind of plays by a different set of rules. The resurrection of the body is the same body though. Different kind of physical, but the same body. And this is the truth of, truth of the empty tomb. Jesus' resurrection is not a new body created out of nothing. It's the old body. The body that was crucified is transformed and given new resurrection life. Jesus' dead body that was placed in the tomb on Friday is the same body that walked out of the tomb in a transformed, resurrected state on Sunday. The old body is taken up and transformed into a new, living, vibrant body. So if Jesus' resurrection body is the prototype for our resurrection, then, we, then, then all that is true of Jesus' resurrection will also be true of ours. Our future bodies will have continuity and discontinuity with our present mortal bodies. Like Jesus, we will eat and drink and have hands and feet, but we will also be free of many of the limitations of our present mortal bodies. Perhaps most importantly, as we try to imagine what resurrected bodies are like, is that our resurrected bodies will be free from corruption and free from death. This is what Paul says at the end of 1 Corinthians 15. The corruptible body must put on incorruptibility. The mortal body must put on immortality. So you get this image of the present body weighed down by sin and corruption and perishability, mortality. And that is overtaken and swallowed up joyfully by a body imperishable, immortal, incorruptible. 
And Paul is so excited about this that he just kind of explodes into this doxology of praise. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And brothers and sisters, the victory is resurrection, victory over death. So as we try to imagine resurrected bodies, we need to imagine what it would be like for the bodies we have now to be characterized by incorruptibility and immortality. That's what the resurrection looks like. Now we also want to know when the resurrection takes place. Uh, if a bodily resurrection is what we've got to look forward to, then when can we expect that to happen? Again, Paul is helpful. Uh, he says in two of his most famous passages about the resurrection that it will take place at the second coming of Jesus. When Christ returns, that's when the resurrection happens. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 17. Some of the Thessalonians have questions about their loved ones who have died. Paul says that just as Jesus died and was raised, so also the Thessalonian believers who have died will also be raised. He says this will happen at the coming of the Lord. Christ will descend from heaven. The dead in Christ, believers, will be raised bodily from the dead. And they will be with the Lord. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is writing to persuade those who deny the future resurrection of the body. And he tells them that there is an order to the resurrection. First is Christ. He's the first fruits, the model, the down payment, the prototype. Then when Christ comes back, he will raise all those who belong to him. So we don't know the timing of Christ's second coming, but we do know that when Christ comes, that event will be the occasion for the general resurrection of all believers. Christ first, then it is coming, those who belong to Christ. Now some may wonder about those who are alive when Christ returns. Paul's answer is that the bodies of the dead will be resurrected and the bodies of the living will be transformed into immortal resurrection bodies like Jesus has. But again, all this happens at the second coming of Christ. So this is something that we have forward to look, uh, something that we have uh, to look forward to. So why does the resurrection matter? Why is it important? There's a lot we could say about that, but returning to the pastoral questions that people ask with regard to their loved ones who have died, the importance of resurrection is that death does not have the last word. Resurrection means that death is overturned. It is defeated. When a person dies and goes to be with Jesus, they are, in a very real sense, still dead. They're not fully alive human beings. They're not living and breathing embodied. Resurrection is the doctrine that says they will live again. We will have a real tangible relationship with other people. We'll have feet to walk with uh, each other. We'll have arms to embrace one another. We will have mouths to speak to one another. And all this will be in the glorious presence of the resurrected Lord Jesus. But if there's no resurrection, then death is final. Resurrection means death doesn't have the final victory. The God who raised Jesus from the dead will also raise us from the dead. That God has the final word. So when I'm preaching or teaching on the resurrection of the body, I sometimes like to put flesh on the doctrine by telling people that I hope I'm walking through a cemetery in Huntsville, Alabama when Jesus comes back. You see, that's where my dad is buried. And I would love to be there when the trumpet sounds and the archangel cries and the ground opens and the grave gives forth their dead and my dad's resurrected body emerges from death. I would love to experience the return of Jesus with my dad. 
because resurrection says death loses in the end and Jesus wins. Thanks be to God. <music>